Week 12, walking out prophecy. Well, we got four more chapters to go before we end this series. I hope you've been enjoying it. Y'all been enjoying it? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, last week we talked about a message called Stewards and Storytellers. Becoming good stewards of all that God has given us, including the power that is in us. That we have a responsibility to tell the truth of all that God has done and walk in purpose, stewarding every moment for the glory of God. If we could just get that concept, stewarding every moment for the glory of God, how you respond to your husband and wife when you want to yell at them, how you raise your kids, how you come to church, how you treat people at your job, every moment, a stewarding moment of how to give glory to God. Well, in that, we are continuing today in chapter 8 of 2 Kings and going through chapter 9. And I want you to remember what's going on in this idea of uh, stewards and storytellers. We're picking up where Elisha's prophecy actually has come true. That the current king died, not by sickness, plot twist, but by his servant, Hazael. And if you remember, Hazael killed him by soaking a blanket and putting it over his head, over the king, and suffocating him. So one way to get the job. And Elisha prophesied over Hazael not just that he would kill the king, but that in his reign he would do horrible things, burn cities, kill men, kill children, rip open pregnant women. Very graphic stuff in the Bible, right? Well, the funny thing is, is that I didn't point this out last week, but the Hazael is actually referred to by many as a son of nobody. In other words, Hazael had no dynasty line. In other words, he was not positioned for kingship. He took the throne without being destined for it. And I say that because we get in this rhetoric sometimes about Everything is God's will versus is there free will? Well, the fact of the matter is we have proof right here that someone took the throne that never had a destiny for it. He, <laughs> he took it on his own accord. And I, I bring that up to start out at this point. Some prophecies are not meant to be fulfilled. Mm, this is going to be good. It's, all, it's already, already going. Some prophecies are specifically meant for correction and reproof to prevent what God is allowing us to see. Some words are given because he says, I want you to get involved so that this thing I'm telling you is going to happen based off of the current events. I want you to get involved so that it doesn't happen. Where church has got it mixed up, is that we get a word and we just assume it's going to happen, so why do anything with it? We've got to get involved with it because we have the authority to get involved and we've got to steward that authority well, especially when we're getting words about the fall of a nation or, or, or words of just like Elisha gave about, hey, Hazael, he's going to burn the city, he's going to rip open pregnant women, this and this and this and this. The word was given so, so there will be something done about it. Hazael didn't get on his knees and pray to God. He just said, oh, not me, and then went for it. Now, open up all that because the rest of this message is going to be about how to walk out and steward prophecies, okay? Now, pay attention 
to 2 Kings 8, 16 through 24. It says, Jehoram, son of King Jehoshaphat of Judah, began to rule over Judah in the fifth year of the reign of Joram, son of Ahab, king of Israel. Now, if you remember, Ahab was married to who? Jezebel. No one likes Jezebel. If you do, please leave. (laughs) Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for eight years. But Jehoram followed the example of the kings of Israel and was as wicked as King Ahab, for he married one of Ahab's daughters. You, you, You know it's bad when you're wicked just because you married that girl. So Jehoram did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but the Lord did not want to destroy Judah. For he had promised, someone shout promised. He had promised his servant David that his descendants would continue to rule, shining like a lamp forever. During Jehoram's reign, the Edomites revolted against Judah and crowned their own king. So Jehoram went with all his chariots to attack the town of Zaire. The Edomites, I'm doing good on pronunciation tonight. That's, dang. The Edomites surrounded him and his chariot commanders. But he went out at night and attacked them under the cover of darkness, but Jehoram's army deserted him and fled to their homes. So Edom has been independent from Judah to this very day. The town of Libna also revolted about that same time. The rest of the events in Jehoram's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. When Jehoram died, he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. Then his son Ahaziah became the next king. Do you see why I had to dig a little bit this week? Because you read that and you're thinking... Oh, typical start or end of a book, you know, the lineage, the blah, 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 blah. But with all this info, there's actually something going on. Back in 1 Kings chapter 22, during the days of Elijah, remember, Elijah raised up Elisha. During that day, the story of the kings of Judah, it kind of pauses and stops when Jehoshaphat ended his reign. And then Jehoram takes the throne. So in this little segue, if you will, we're actually picking up and seeing the reign of Jehoram. We're catching up, seeing what's going on in the meantime, if you will. And this king is not a good king. He's the king of Judah, and the scripture says he followed in the example of the kings of Israel. This was not a compliment, because in the southern kingdom of Judah, you had mixture You had godly kings, you had wicked kings. But in the northern kingdom, which is where this guy is, Only God rejecting evil kings. And just to bring it to memory, this king was married to Jezebel's daughter. So this king was actually being influenced by the only mentor, if you will, he knew, which was King Ahab. In fact, if you read 2 Chronicles 21, in order to secure his place as king, he had to murder his brothers and many leaders just to take the throne. So even getting this, securing this kingdom was done with evil acts. So with this reign, the kingdom of Judah was going down spiritually. Horrible things happening. The whole nation sinning. But God says, I still don't want to destroy the place. Now remember, this is the Old Testament. And based off of all the patterns, when they this bad, God's like, all right, let's take care of it, Right? And destroys the area. But for some reason, God says, I don't want to destroy this area. Why? Because he made a promise with who? David. That his descendants would rule. Shining like a lamp forever. 
And the lamp wasn't just a symbol of life. It's actually referring to what we call a covenant. Psalm 132, 17 says this, There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. Another version says, My anointed one will be a light for my people, and I will increase the power of David. That's what the horn of David is. There was a promise made. There was a covenant made from God saying David's dynasty would lead and give God glory. And God was not going to destroy a people because God does not go back on his covenant. You see, there is something about a covenant with God. God says, I don't care how long it takes. When I make a covenant with my people, I'm going to see to it that it comes through. Despite who's in leadership, despite what's going wrong with the nation, I'm not just going to kill them off. I don't break my covenant. That gives me some peace about what's going on in 2022. He says, I don't care what your country is going into and what you're adopting as truth. I'm not going to destroy you yet because I have a covenant with you and I want my church to rise up and represent me well and change the course of this area. In Jeremiah 31, it talks about the covenant that we're now in. It says this in verse 33 and 34, but this is the new covenant. Now, this is a prophecy. Everyone say prophecy. This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Now, let me pause right here. We are adopted into Israel, okay? So on New Testament side, when it considers talking about Israel, it, it also includes who? Us, okay? So this is a prophecy about Israel. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. That puts a whole new spin on evangelism. That's a whole other message. I will forgive their wickedness. I will never again remember their sins. That's the prophecy. That was crazy talk back then. You mean we ain't got to pay for our sins? He ain't going to remember this stuff? This is a prophecy that Jeremiah has given. Hundreds of years later, Look at Matthew chapter 26, 27 to 29. He, Jesus, took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the what? The covenant between God and his people. He's referring to this covenant in Jeremiah that was just prophesied. Okay, It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Communion is not just about remembering what God did. It's something to look forward to. When we get together in the Father's kingdom, I'm going to have that drink of wine. But it's going to be a new kind of wine. He's referring to a coming day. But I want you to notice what Jesus says. He says, my blood confirms the covenant. The covenant was made before Jesus came. The covenant didn't start with Jesus. The covenant was made when it was prophesied by who? Jeremiah. So Jesus comes 
and he's existing as the Word becoming flesh. Which means Jesus, before the Word became flesh, was the Word that was spoken out of who? Jeremiah. Okay? Y'all following? So, this covenant was made before Jesus came as flesh. Jesus existed as this covenant was spoken. And he says, my blood is simply confirming a covenant that's not something new. It's something I'm completing. And many of us have words that have been left incomplete. Because you didn't follow the word up with an action. You see, the covenant was made by Jeremiah, but Jesus didn't confirm it until his blood was what? Spilled. And a lot of times we get prophecy and we get, or, or this word, you're going to do great things. You're going to be this. You're going to walk into this. And we wait for Jesus to line it up. We wait for the Father to make it happen. And God says, that's not how prophecy and covenant works. I'll make a covenant with you when a word is spoken over you that I'm going to see it come to pass. But it's going to depend on you walking it out. And a lot of times we don't like to walk it out because we want to get to the end game. We want to see the prophecy fulfilled. But we don't like to go through the day-to-day walking. You know, like, like, like Elisha taking the people down and building a school for prophets. That was a day-to-day walking it out for something that was to come. Remember, Jezebel is still alive through this entire story, and no one's gone after her. You would think, knowing everything that happened, someone would try to take out Jezebel. But no one went after her. She was chilling. Now, I don't know about you, but if I knew about some mm, woman like Jezebel, I, I, I would be trying to plot. But that's not what Elisha's doing. He's walking out knowing if I follow God step by step, he will not break his covenant and his promise. And it was prophesied long ago that Jezebel would die. Jesus' action was, I will go to the cross, I will resurrect, and then he leaves and he says, I'll drink this again with you. Until then, you have an action To follow up with that promise, go and make. Is this okay so far? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is what Jesus tells us to do. He came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. You know what disciples are? Disciplined followers of God, not church people. Because most church people that mark Christian on the census don't know how to follow him worth a dang. I want to say a different word, but I won't, I won't. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. You don't get to pick which ones you don't like. Obey them all. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, what commands? Look at Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Curse those with leprosy. Cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. 
The thing about covenant, it's a promise, but it depends on your action. Not just the action of reading your Bible, but heal the sick. You want to know how I know it ain't time for Jesus to come back? Because that ain't happened on a large scale right now. Because he's coming back for a spotless bride. That does not mean that the church, the bride, is going to be perfect. It, a spotless bride is a church seeking and being obedient to all the commands. And God will give the people to themselves. Hashtag America. See, we like to pick on everything going on in the Middle East. Let's talk about America for a moment. You got male, female, binary, non-binary, male, I don't, there's in between, everything, all this kind of crap. And then you got the church who's coming into agreement with it. And the, True. There you are preaching again. You got all this stuff happening, and the people of God that know better are just staying silent. God will give the people to themselves until someone, or what the New Testament says, a remnant, will put to action what we're called to do. You want to talk about walking out prophecy? You want Jesus to return? I put before you his return depends on us walking it out. I'm sure the Father has wanted to redeem the world for a while. But even the scripture tells us, even the earth is waiting and groaning for his people to be revealed. What does that mean? There's got to be an action for the covenant to be fulfilled. God, is, is this making sense? God made that covenant with David, that same kind of covenant. The people will be given over to themselves. And look what happens. Jehoram's disobedience made them weaker and weaker. We see in 2 Chronicles that Elijah actually predicted um, that because of the sins of, of, of that man, that judgment would come upon him and disaster for the nation. And that king, Jehoram, actually died at 40 years old because of an intestinal disease. Covenants. Has God given up? No, he made a covenant. When are we going to see him? When the people walk out. Look at verse 25 and 26. Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, began to rule over Judah in the twelfth year of the reign of Joram, son of Ahab, king of Israel. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem one year. His mother was Athaliah, a granddaughter of King Omri of Israel. This short life of Jehoram, dying at 40, should have been a wake-up call to Ahaziah. Right? Like, don't do what he did. But Ahaziah didn't learn a dang thing. In fact, his reign only lasted one year. Didn't learn anything. Just walked in the footsteps of what he saw. So look what happens in verse 27. Ahaziah followed the evil example of King Ahab's family. I know this is a lot, but this is building. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Ahab's family had done, for he was related by marriage to the family of Ahab. Ahaziah joined Joram, son of Ahab, in his war against King Haziel of Aram at Ramoth-Gilead. 
When the Arameans wounded King Joram in the battle, he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds he had received at Ramoth. Because Joram was wounded, King Ahaziah of Judah went to Jezreel to visit him. So a war has developed. Ahaziah and Joram got together, and they're against Hazael. Basically, Israel versus Syria. Ahaziah obviously had a very strong connection because of his connection with his grandparents. Remember, his mom is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. He had a strong connection with that, so he went to Joram when he was hurt. So all of these treaties are going on. War is happening. Evil partnerships. Chaos. Sounds kind of like what we're going through. I can't believe that happened. I can't believe this president. I can't believe these laws. It's happened before. Because the people have been given over to themselves. Okay? But remember, there is a covenant. 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. I haven't lost y'all yet, have I? Okay. Meanwhile, I love that word in the Bible. Elisha the prophet had summoned a member of the group of prophets. Get ready to travel, he told him. And take this flask of olive oil with you. Go to Ramoth Gilead. Find Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi. Call him into a private room away from his friends. Pour oil over his head and say to him, this is what the Lord says. I anoint you to be the king of over Israel. And then open the door and run for your life. <laughs> now that's a prophecy. <laughs> What kind, what kind of word from God? Listen, listen son or daughter. Go, go open the door. Say he's going to be the king. Pour oil and get the heck out of Dodge. Right? I don't know about you, but if I got that kind of prophecy, I'd have, I'd have questions. What do you mean run for my life? Is what's going to go down when I pour this flask of oil over this dude's head, right? <laughs> so let's talk about it. Joram, the son of Ahab, was king of Israel. So... For this prophet to go say that Jehu was going to be the king, that's called treason. So he was about to do something against all of the cultural norms because God told him to. But when God says to do something, you do it. You don't question about the, well, God, what if this happens? I promise you God knows. When he gives you a word to go forward, you don't question whether or not God had wisdom. You do it. And I think that's the biggest thing that the church has lost, obedience. Because we overthink everything. Well, I know God says this, but what about the No, no, there ain't no buts. Throw your butt out the door. There's, it's obedience. I don't care what America looks like or what right or wrong is defined in 2022. If God says to do it, you do it. If God says don't do it, you don't do it. If God says speak, you speak. If God says submit to a leader that you don't like, you submit to a leader you don't like. Everything should be about obedience, but we love to question God on everything. Well, I just don't want to offend people. Jesus is called a rock of offense. Why? He says many people will stumble because of disobedience. It's offensive because truth disagrees with your wants and your desires. 
It's offensive to listen to God, especially in 2022. I hear this from people all the time. Well, how do I speak to my friend about this? I don't want to offend them. So what? The key to offense is delivering it in such a way where you love them. But don't worry about how they get offended by what you deliver in a loving way. Right? God says, say it, get it out, and then get the heck out of there and let me work. But isn't that what happens today when God calls us to be obedient to these tasks? See, we think if the task doesn't come through, we fail. But sometimes God says, all I need you to do is be obedient in this one little thing. Say it. And then let me take care of the rest. Don't try to build a relationship with it. Don't try to milk it for what it's got. Let me deal with it. Sometimes we're just called to say it and then let God do it. See, covenant says, I'll make it happen, but you play a part. Church, do something. Say something. Be my image in the earth. I need my light to consume darkness. Think about that scripture. Light should be expelling darkness. It's, it's, it's a law. When it's dark in here and you turn on a light, darkness does not stay. So if darkness is still in our land, that means we have an illegitimate form of light. Not because Jesus is illegitimate, but our mirror imaging of the light is illegitimate. Is this? Well, why isn't darkness leaving? Because look how much light lacks in you. <laughs> you see, it makes you understand the power of your words for good and evil. Be careful what you speak because your words carry authority in this world, right? He tells this young prophet, amen. Can you imagine being like in school of ministry? Hey, man, I need you to come anoint this dude, tell him he's king, and then run. And the prophet's like, all right. So verse 4 and 5. So the young prophet did as he was told, went to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrived there, he found Jehu sitting around with the other army officers. I've got a message for you, commander, he said. For which one of us, Jehu asked? For you, commander, he replied. Now, Jehu was a commander, remember, under Ahab and Joram. Back in 1 Kings 19, it was actually prophesied that this man Jehu would overthrow Ahab's dynasty. You know who prophesied it? Elijah. Here's the interesting twist. It was the exact same paragraph that he anointed someone else. Guess who it was? Elisha. So the fulfillment of this prophecy was now at hand through the man who took up Elijah's mantle. This was a long time. But when God says it, it may take years and years and years, but it will come to pass. But it could not have happened if Elijah didn't say it, raise up a son, and equip the son to carry out the word. True discipleship is raising up sons and daughters 
to take up the mantle of an assignment, of an anointing, and understand that the word and promises of God depend on you. You want to know why this nation is going backwards? Because the church has not raised up sons and daughters to take the mantle. We're still looking on the next big person to do it. What was happening here? Elisha is the one who was to send the prophet to speak to Jehu saying it's time. The only reason he knew what to do was because of his spiritual father, Elijah. The the, the best way for the church to lead in this time is not necessarily trying to be outspoken, but to raise up. Having vision not just for the now, but for when I won't be. See, that's why we got to get this jargon out about what I believe the end's going to come while I'm alive. Maybe. But quite frankly, if you believe that, it'll prohibit you from raising up. You need to raise up people to carry out what's being planted right now just as much as we are being obedient to the right now. Kids' ministry should not be... I, I, I was sitting with a preacher this week, and, and he said, he, I, <laughs> well, you know, the best way to grow a church is grow your kids' ministry. No doubt. But that's not the point of kids' ministry. The point of it should be raise them up so that by the time they're 14, 15, we're not having to do youth ministry because they minister to us. Because I don't don't know about you, but teenagers, they're the most undervalued group in the world. They get lost for five years because they put more stock into lies than truth because we have failed them at raising them up as sons and daughters. Why is the norm that a pastor's got to be mid-30s or 40s to preach, but we can get a 16-year-old with more anointing than a 60-year-old? but let's build a youth ministry we take them to the movies. We're just feeding what the world gives them. Okay, let me get back on point. Let let me open up Malachi, chapter 4. Me and Pete, we talked about this this week. Now, Malachi, chapter 4, these are the last words before... There's 450 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. And don't worry, this ain't about tithing. Okay? But you need to tithe. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to children and the hearts of children to fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. This isn't just about reconciling families. It speaks that the children, the next generation, the young ones will turn to the God of their fathers. But it takes us being obedient to things that are not natural to us. We were in men's group a couple weeks ago, and there was a 14-year-old kid in there. 
not here tonight, but that's, he, they come every week. And that kid could talk more kingdom than some of the adults in this room. And, I, and look, look, listen to how mature this 14-year-old kid is. I said, man, God's got a call in your life. I, 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 I think you're going to preach one day. I, I, maybe, maybe you're going to leave this house one day. You know what he said? Well, whatever God tells me to do, I'll be obedient. I was like, <laughs> right? But see, what, what's happening even in this house is that these teenagers are not being looked over, but we're trying to pull out of them and raise them up. But here's the partnership of the fathers and the mothers. They've got to see you following God so they love your God. You know why teenagers run away from God? Because they see how you worship him. Ooh. Well, I, I know how much my, my dad loves God. Yeah, God does this. My mom does. I know that hurts a little bit. But here's the thing about covenant. It could still be redeemed. All it takes is saying, you know what, from this point on, my kids are going to see how much I love God. By my words, by my lifestyle, by what I don't give into. And it's not just for the biological fathers and mothers. We all play a part spiritually in the raising up of sons and daughters. And it's not just teenagers. It's the 24-year-old. It's the 60-year-old. There, there, there are people well above my age that come to me for knowledge. What am I doing? I'm help raising them up because it's not about age. And I believe God can redeem the time in such a way where all the years that have been lost can be restored in a moment because of humility. See, we play a part in walking out what God has promised. If we become, we become more obsessed with raising up than sustaining ourselves, imagine what God would raise up to overthrow a corrupt government and turn it back to God. We've got to get out of this sustained mindset and raise up, raise up, multiply ourselves, replicate ourselves. Then that gets into another conversation. Do you love yourself enough to be replicated? Do you actually walk in the image of Jesus? Well, I can't ever do that, not with that attitude. But as far as I'm concerned, my God says that I am the righteousness of God because of the blood that's, I am righteousness. So let me walk in what he already sees me as. Righteousness is not something you have to earn anymore. It's been put on you. The lie is that you are still not powerful enough to break off that thing. That's the lie. You are enough because Christ died for you. You are the righteousness of God. You are crowned with glory and honor. Walk it out. Hmm. Verse 6, 2 Kings 9. So Jehu left the others and went into the house. And then the young prophet poured the oil over Jehu's head. And said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people Israel. You, and then the Holy Spirit starts talking. 
You are to destroy the family of Ahab, your master. In this way, I will avenge the murder of my prophets and all the Lord's servants who were killed by Jezebel. The entire family of Ahab must be wiped out. I will destroy every one of his male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I will destroy the family of Ahab as I destroy the families of Jeroboam, son of Naboth, and Basha, son of Ahijah. Listen to this. Dogs will eat Ahab's wife Jezebel at the plot of land in Jezreel. No one will bury her. Then the young prophet opened the door and ran. (laughs) Dang. (laughs) Now here's something interesting. You know that Jehu was the only king that was anointed in the northern kingdom? Because anointing a king over Israel wasn't a custom or a rule. It was only done when circumstances were out of the ordinary when claiming the crown. We are told that we are anointed. Luke 10.20 talks about how we have the anointing from the Holy Spirit and to let truth guide us. Let me, did you hear what I said? This king wasn't anointed because of custom. He was anointed because he was needed for restoration of a people in a circumstance that was a little extra. And God says, just like that, I'm anointed you as kings of the earth. He's the king of what? King of kings. Capital K, little k. I'm anointing you, not because of custom or rule, but because I've got some extraordinary circumstances in 2022, and I need you in this time, and I have anointed you to carry my name. I have crowned you as kings. Women too, this ain't just masculine, kings. Speaking of crowns, look at what Hebrews 2, 5 through 7 says. It's not angels who will control the future world we're talking about. In one place, scriptures say, what are mere mortals that you should think about them or son of man that you should care for him? Yet for a little while, you made them a little lower than angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Who's talking about? You. You're anointed and you're crowned with glory and honor. The king crowned us to rule as governors of this earth under the true king. So the earth's rule does not depend on God. It depends on how you walk out your anointing and crown. I just can't get ahead in my job. The enemy's working. The enemy ain't crowned for your job. I wish I could get my house in order. There's just too much warfare. No one's crowned but you. Warfare's in your home. Stop blaming Satan. Stop blaming demons. You don't, don't say they're not powerful and then say they're powerful just because you can't get it out. You carry more authority than any amount of darkness. That's why you are called light. Well, I thought Jesus was called light. Well, our identity is in him. You want to get stuff out your home? Walk in your crown. So this Jehu was going to be used as a tool of judgment against the house of Ahab, taking out him and, guess who, Jezebel. After years, 
and years of evil and corruption. You want to take care of the corrupt things in this world? Take your seat of authority, obey God, and raise up sons and daughters. What was this message called? Walking out prophecy? This was prophesied a long time ago. It could not happen without the raising up, walking in their authority, and obeying God's commands. You've got a part to play in a covenant coming to pass. Why isn't God coming through for me? Uh, what? Because you ain't walking it out. What does walking out mean? You have things to be obedient in. Look at verse 11. Jehu went back to his fellow officers. And one of them asked him, what that madman want? Everything all right? You know how a man likes, like that babbles on, Jehu replied. No, you hiding something, they said. Tell us. So Jehu told them, well, he said to me that this is what the Lord says, I'm going to you to be king over Israel. Then they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps and blew the ram's horn, shouting, Jehu is king. Of course they thought the dude was a madman. Jehu came out of the room with his head soaked in oil and the dude running for his life. <laughs> but when they heard what the madman spoke, they immediately took him seriously. They spread the garments because it was an act of loyalty and support. When you're obedient, others may scoff at first. But when you speak truth and are obedient to looking like a madman, the same ones that scoff will be the same ones who see. But they would have never had seen Jehu as king or went against their current king had a madman not poured oil, said a word, and ran. This scripture gives me a lot of peace about me. Because as much as I talk to local pastors, or I don't talk anymore because they just won't talk to me. <laughs> I get so much stuff said about me and rumors spread about me and I'm theologically incorrect and nothing about you. Okay, okay well, this house is filling and yours isn't. And the word that I'm preaching is harder than ever and people are hungry for it. So you call me mad all you want. I'll stay obedient. You try to manage your COVID. Because <laughs> in this house, when people gather, COVID runs out the door. Amen. This gives me a lot of peace. You shouldn't worry about the world calling you stupid and crazy. You be obedient to the word of God and let God be your defender. 14. So Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, led a conspiracy against King Joram. Now Joram had been with the army at Ramoth Gilead defending Israel against the forces of King Haziel of Aram. But King Joram was wounded in the fighting and returned to Jezreel. Do you remember that? That happened in the last chapter, recovering from his wounds. So Jehu told the men with him, if you, want to be, if you want me to be king, don't let anyone leave town and go to Jezreel to report what we've done. Then Jehu got into the chariot and rode to Jezreel to find King Joram, who was lying there wounded. King Ahaziah of Judah was there too, for he had gone to visit him. The watchman on the tower of Jezreel saw Jehu and his company approaching, so he shouted to Joram, I see a company of troops coming. Send out a rider to ask if they're coming in peace, King Joram ordered. Remember, Joram was waiting to recover, so he was very insecure in holding the throne. So he wanted to know, are these troops for me? 
or against me. You see the timing? God says go when the man's weak. So a horseman, verse 18, went out to meet Jehu and said, The king wants to know if you're coming in peace. Jehu replied, What do you know about peace? Fall in behind me. Now that's authority. <laughs> that should have been the name of the message, gangster. The watchman called out to the king. The messenger has met them, but he's not returning. You realize what just happened? The messenger was like, well, well forget him. Well, I'll, I'll follow you, Jehu. <laughs> Jehu? Jehu. <laughs> Sorry. That was, that was bad. So the king sent out a second horseman. He wrote to them, the king wants to know if you come in peace. Again, Jehu answered, what do you know about peace? Fall in behind me. The watchman exclaimed, uh, the messengers met them, but he ain't returning either. It must be Jehu, son Dimshi, for he's driving like a madman. <laughs> Two messengers joined Jehu. The troops were more loyal to him than King Joram. You see, some people are, are simply looking for a leader to get them out of their captivity. You see how quick they left the king for Jehu? When will the church lead in such a way that those who are miserable will join in and come to know God? People are following anything and everything today. And all the church does is complain instead of saying, what, what do you know about peace? Fall in line. Well, I have peace because I'm accepted here. What do you know about peace? That kind of peace ain't from the author of peace. You, you, think about that for a minute. He's the author of peace. They're finding an illegitimate peace. And all the church does is complain about it when we should be at a place where we approach them to say, fall in line. The real king's approaching. And I represent him. That should be the posture of the church. Jehu was intense. They called him crazy. They called him madman just because of the way he drove a chariot. You know what that means? Passion was in him. And he was ready to walk what he was called to do. You know what Romans 12 says? Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Want people to recognize your fear of God? Don't serve God like a chore. Serve him like it's your greatest honor and assignment. What you doing tonight? Uh, I got to go to church. You should be so on fire to be in the presence of God with others that people start to call you crazy. Hmm. Verse, tw verse 21. Quick, get my chariot ready, King Joram commanded. Then King Joram of Israel and King Isaiah of Judah rode out in their chariots to meet Jehu. They met him at the part of land that had belonged to Naboth of Jezreel. Remember Naboth's vineyard? Jezebel had him killed because her hubby wanted it. Ahab and Jezebel murdered Naboth and got the land, but as far as God was concerned, it still belonged to Naboth. Ultimately, it still belongs to God. Verse 22, King Joram demanded, Do you come in peace, Jehu? Jehu replied, How can there be peace as long as the idolatry and witchcraft of your mama Jezebel are all around us? 
Then King Joram turned the horses around and fled, shouting to King Uzziah, Treason is Ahaziah! But Jehu drew his bow and shot Joram between the shoulders. The arrow pierced his heart and he sank down dead in his chariot. Dude spoke truth and it pierced Joram's heart with an arrow. When you speak truth, it will pierce hearts. Romans 4.12 says the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword and it cuts between the soul and the spirit, exposing your innermost thoughts and desires. Obedience, acting on the prophecy spoken over you, takes you to a place where the word of God in you will pierce, expose, and set things in order under God. But you've got to do something. It depends on you. Jehu didn't just sit in the place that he was prophesied over. Okay, I'm going to become king one day. I'm just going to pray all day about it. No, he, he did something with it. He said, all right, well, God, what's next? I'll get the chariots together. We don't ask God about that walking it out part. Like when God says you're going to be great one day, you wait on greatness and say, instead of saying what's next. And if what next is managing something that don't look great, you'll say no instead of, instead of being obedient to the small task. You're going to be a man of God. You're going to preach the word of God all over the world, but you can't be faithful with five people in a Bible study. You think God's going to honor that? Verse 25. This all right tonight? Okay, I'm getting toward the end, believe it or not. Jehu said to Big Car's officer, throw him into the plot of land that belonged to Naboth of Jezreel. Do you remember when you and I were riding along behind his father Ahab, the Lord pronounced this message against him? I solemnly swear that I will repay him here on this plot of land, says the Lord, for the murder of Naboth and his sons that I saw yesterday. Throw him out on Naboth's property, just as the Lord said. See, this is another fulfillment. God's judgment on the house of Ahab. Dude died on his daddy's land, which was obtained by murder. And how did God get justice? He did it through an obedient Jehu, who got worse from an obedient Elijah, who raised up an obedient Elisha. Walking out prophecy. Y'all seeing this? Verse 27, when King Ahaziah of Judah saw what was happening, he fled along the road to Beth Hagen. Jehu rode after him, shouting, shoot him too. <laughs> so they shot Ahaziah in his chariot at the ascent of Gur near Iblium. He was able to go on as far as Megiddo, Megiddo, yep, Megiddo, but he died there. His servant took him by chariot to Jerusalem where they buried him with his ancestors in the city of David. Ahaziah had become king over Judah in the 11th year of the reign of Joram, son of Ahab. Where did he flee? He fled to the northern kingdom, full of evil, full of wickedness. What you worship will consume you. Had he turned over to God, he would not have had this faith, this fate. Because when you worship our God, it leads to life, not death. Why did he get a dignified burial in Jerusalem? His ancestor was Jehoshaphat, so he got the honor from his family lineage. This is going to be, this is going to be important in a minute now. You know what we have on this side of the cross, talking about lineage? 
We are the adopted sons and daughters of the king. And our lineage is now kingly lineage. That's why everything's available to us, but we've got to do something to take part. Sacrificing our wants and desires and obeying the Father's decrees. Go and making disciples, healing the sick. When we start to do that, watch what opens for us. You know why it's so important to understand that that stuff unlocks heaven? Because we need that stuff to endure what's coming against us. So all this has happened. Everyone's dead, except one more person. Jezebel. Verse 30. When Jezebel, the queen mother, heard that Jehu had come to Jezreel, she painted her eyelids and fixed her hair and sat at a window. All you people that wear makeup. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So we got people walking out already. Verse 31. When Jehu entered the gate of the palace, she shouted at him. You come in peace? You murderer? You're just like Zimri who murdered his master. Zimri was killed by Omri, who was the father of Ahab, father-in-law of Jezebel. So Jezebel was mocking Jehu. You'll be defeated just like Zimri. That's why she painted her eyelids and fixed her hair. Her pride manifested even in these last moments. She thought she was untouchable. She just sat and mocked. Galatians 6, 7, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You'll always harvest what you plant. That's good stuff and bad stuff. God will have his way, but it might take a long time. Why did it take so long? Because we got to walk out obedience to the prophecy of his justice. So the last verses of tonight. Verse 32, Jehu looked up, saw her at the window, and shouted, Who's on my side? And two or three eunuchs looked at him. In other words, just like the messengers came and fell in line, the eunuchs up top, they're like, we're, we're tired of serving this <laughs> witch. Throw her down. Jehu yelled. So they threw her out the window and her blood splattered against the wall and on the horses. If that was enough. And Jehu trampled her body under his horse's hoofs. <laughs> you, and you talking about boss mode? Look at verse 34. Then Jehu went to his palace and got something to eat and drink. <laughs> Afterward, he said, Someone go and bury this cursed woman, for she's the daughter of a king. If you had the lineage of king, just like we saw a minute ago, you, you were what? You were buried. You got an honorable burial. But when they went out to bury her, they found only her skull, her feet, and her hands. Must have been a big meal. When they returned and told Jehu, he stated, This fulfills the message from the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Elijah from Tishbe. At the pot of land in Jezreel, dogs will eat Jezebel's body. Her remains will be scattered like dung on the plot of land in Jezreel so that no one will be able to recognize her. You know what's funny is that she was unrecognizable after she just got painted up. 
justice and order. All out of simply walking out prophetic words. Church, God has anointed you and has plans for you, but you cannot wait. You've got to walk. I wonder what have you not walked out because you're too focused on the big word. This prophecy came true, but it's been years and years and years of obedience in small things. Make the axe head float. Heal the sick boy. Prophesy that the boy is going to be born. Right? Cause that army to be blind. Feed the opposing army and send them back. All this little stuff that had nothing to do with killing Jezebel. But when you are obedient in one thing, it puts you in position for the next. And on and on and on. I think that's why David looked back at the end of his life and said, now I see how all my steps have gotten me here. See, you, 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 don't, you don't realize the how the obedience in one moment is going to affect the rest of your life. Perhaps that's why it's so important why God puts a great weight on simply being obedient. In the small things, being obedient to keeping your house clean because it's a way of giving glory to God that you have one, right? Being obedient to blessing the stranger, never knowing if there's going to be a return on your investment. See, we, 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 we love to think about the big words spoken in our lives and the prophetic announcements, and they're big. But they come to pass by being obedient in every single step. And sometimes you're going to get dealt a bad card that God never intended for you. That's why he said, I have crowned you with glory and honor so that you have the power to manage the card that was never designed for you. He says, I've got plans for you. I've got purposes for you. I've got destiny for you. I, I, I've got things beyond your ability to imagine. But will you walk it out? Let us be obedient in all the little so we can see the promise of big. I believe that this area will be redeemed. But we can't wait to see it redeemed. The way we wait is obedience to every step along the way. And one day we will see, wow, that time I fed that one person who was bugging me at Kroger. Had it not been for that moment, I would have never gotten to this moment. And we laugh at that stuff, and yeah, it's comical, it's funny. I think the Bible is like the funniest thing ever. We've been laughing all night. God's like, hey, I got a word. Just go say it in the room for your life. I wish God would give me that kind of word for someone. <laughs> Actually, no, just kidding. <laughs> Isn't God good? Yeah. Mm. Let's stand.
if, if this word has spoken to you, that there's been something spoken of your life and you haven't really been obedient, can you just slip your hand up real quick? Yeah. Ooh, all over the room. Yeah. Let me just say, for those of you that may not have thrown your hands up, either you're very obedient or you haven't realized that God's got great plans for you. If you know him, he has amazing plans for you. You know what the altar call tonight is? Act on it. Act on it. So Lord, I just speak over every single person in this room under the sound of my voice, even to myself, that as we leave out of here tonight, everything will be an act of obedience for your glory, God. We just want to walk it out. We don't want glory. We want you to get it all. Thank you for the relationships you're establishing in our lives that keep us accountable to walking out an obedient life for you, God. Let us walk out in such obedience, God, that the light that shines out of this house is so bright that darkness just runs from it. And I just speak that it, darkness would run in such a way that any darkness left in people that get around us, it would run and the people around us would fall to their knees and ask, who is our God? We just want to walk it out, God. So in Jesus' name, we are going to be obedient to walk out every step for one purpose, for your glory, God. Show us, speak to us, give us dreams, confirm it, do what you need to do, Lord. Show us who we need to speak to, show us who we need to run from, show us the obedient places. And we give all the glory to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, everybody said. Amen. Amen. Can we give God praise one more time?